Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live... F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Redding, but my friends call me Spanners. So, let's be friends. I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets for this special mailbag episode. But firstly, great job on the band tech segment with Kyle on Friday. Thank you. As you can tell from listening, I think we had more than a little bit of fun recording it. The biggest compliment I can give you is that I listened to most of it, nearly. Yes, and we are delighted to be part of the MCU now, the Map Content Universe. Yeah, and I'm hoping a lot of the other panelists are going to take that mantle and run with it so we can get lots of interesting chat. I could tell that you guys were very passionate about that subject. So go and check out the magazine show on Friday. If you missed it, we caught up with Engine Mode 11. He's Red Bull Fossey. And we also caught up with the Junior Series content from Sam from Formula Nerds as well. But we are going to have a special star guest on this mailbag episode to lend us some legitimacy. Uh, legitimacy. But firstly, I just want to say thank you. We've had a huge amount of emails lately. I do try and sit down to respond to them. I'm a little bit behind lately, but I will catch up. Um, but while I was being sick last week and very brave about it your emails and dms did keep me company i never feel like i'm alone just yelling into the universe in a shed i always feel like i'm right in the middle of an amazing community of f1 fans and podcast listeners so please keep emailing us at spanners and matt so spanners at mistapex.net matt at mistapex.net or dm me at spanners ready we are still an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves we aim to bring you a race review before your monday morning commute we might be wrong, but we're first. Okay, so we are going to add an air of legitimacy and authority to the mailbag by adding a panellist that has stood on the Le Mans 24-hour podium, has competed at the top of the F1 feeder series ladder, has driven every type of race car on the planet throughout history and now lends his voice to the commentary booth as well. It's F1 TV commentator and sports car driver Alex Brundle. Hi, Alex. Uh, hello, guys. I tell you what, legitimacy all over the place. You've added a couple of stings since I last, uh, I know, since right? I was last on. Gorgeous front end to the show. Well done. We try our best. Um, all the hard work is done by one single Australian. So we have really driven efficiency here in the podcasting shed. Uh, but speaking of driving, you're going to be competing in the final round of, of WEC in the eight hours of Bahrain in just a few weeks. How's the prep going for that? 
Yeah, looking forward to it. I'm going testing actually uh, in a couple of days. Um, European Le Mans Series team, same team as as race with me in, in mm. the World Endurance Championship, but I'm not obviously part of that lineup. Just finished a race in Portugal. I'm heading uh-huh. out to Portugal. They're going to stay on, do a test, get ready for the final round of the World Endurance well, where Championship. Where did you race in Portugal? Oh, I, I, we, we did not race in Portugal. Ah. The World Endurance team didn't, oh, but my, my same enterprise, my same team, uh, are there, uh, for a different series. So they're staying on. I'm heading out and we're gonna, uh, we're gonna do some testing. You, you really stuck with that World Endurance stuff, even though it takes ages for, for a race. Eight say, hours. Eight, even. eight hours I'm, I'm heard, yeah, on the sometimes. Grand Prix circuit at Bahrain as well. Yes. Grand Prix circuit in Bahrain. Um, the, uh, you know, same, same venue mm. as used for Formula One. Uh, look, I, I love it. It's great racing, race through the night, race all the way through the day. There's plenty of time to get your head around it. You know, you don't have to rush. Just, yeah, you can just you relax. Know, sit back, relax, enjoy. Is that track, uh, the Bahrain Grand Prix track, from video games, because that's all I've got, Mr. Brundle, is is always like a really good one. It feels like a, a proper racetrack and it's produced some of the best F1 uh, racing as well. What is, what's it like to go around there? Because, I mean, you're in cars that are are pretty up there on the, the 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 speed and handling in sports car terms. Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky track and it's a really hard track specifically for endurance racing because you have that kind of crazy tire degradation that we always expect to see from Formula One, we always expect to see from feeder series and guess what? It's just the same in a sports car. Um, so yeah, to drive an endurance car there takes an incredible amount of tire management. You've got to be really intelligent about the way you go about driving the car and it's always it's always an interesting challenge. Super hot as well inside the bubble oh. of an endurance car. Oh, I bet. Do you, is is it like IndyCar? You get they've, they've got that hose, haven't they, on the back of the helmet that pipes cold hot air, cold air into the helmet. Have you got anything we've like got, that? We've got aircon units in mm. the cars, except they work all the time apart from when it's hot. Um, so <laughs> they, when it when it's when it's really hot, <laughs> um, the aircon unit tries a little bit too hard and sort of gives up and just starts blowing air, not cold air, and then. There is a regulation about how hot the cockpit temperature can be, but it's it relates to the ambient. So as the ambient goes up, so theoretically, if you're operating with a 40 degree ambient, the, the cockpit temperature of about 50 degrees is fine. No one minds. <laughs> how much you know, does that, We just have to carry on. How much does that affect you as a driver? Because you've obviously you've driven a lot of single seaters as well. And when the drivers like recently at Singapore, they all talk about just the suffocating heat of it. How much can you put that out of your out of your mind or is it with you? for like a whole two hour stint no it, it can it can really get to you it yeah, can okay. really get to you um you've got to actively calm down one of those things where you have to just accept this is how it's going to be now for the next yeah. little while and i'm completely okay with this even though this doesn't feel great because if as soon as you start to chastise the temperature and get angry at the heat it just makes you hotter and more unhappy so you just got to kind of let it be uh, yeah um, the only comparison I have is um, NBC, like chemical attack suits, where it's a charcoal layer and then you've got like a, a protection chemical layer and you're just boiling inside your suit with a respirator gas mask, probably similar to how it feels in a helmet. With every breath you take out, it returns like, a, you know, you get rewarded for breathing out with just this wall of air on your eyes. Well, that, that's a that's a proper vibe with you with you being uh, being just saving the world like that. I mean, we're, we're, not, we're not saving any lives. We're just we're just we're just uh, we're just driving around in circles, mate. So uh, uh, I don't, don't want to overemphasize the effect I had turning a, a few spanners. Uh, but how's things <laughs> going in the broadcast world as well? Because uh, you know, obviously, it's it's amazing to hear you having heard you at a missed apex event calling our little kart races on occasion, and then suddenly you know you're on the world feed transmitting to especially in this era with so many new fans like you're the voice of f1 to so many people i think you've done one race this year haven't you for the f1 main feed yeah we were i was out at zambor on on f1 tv i'd love to do a little bit more of that um it threw into next year and then obviously the formula two and formula three that feels like the bread and butter now the formula (laughs) two and the formula three i really i I love doing that uh and to call the next and, and you get people you know contacting you from formula one circles which is one of the coolest things get people contacting you from the formula one circles going which of these youngsters do you think are good because you sort of watch the majority Ah, of the races yes so actually you kind of become a i I would never claim to be an authority of any kind but kind of like a, a gentle reference point for that um and indeed you know i meet people all over the world where 
I've commentated on Formula One and I've been the commentator on Formula One for mm. those people. Not always in the predictable places because F1 TV kind of scoops up loads of territories and sort of puts them together like Play-Doh and, uh, and we broadcast all of those people. But that, that's really cool um, to, oh, to think that that's the case. Do you ever get like any sudden uh, like uh, surprise visits from people like in airports and stuff like that <laughs> where you're just like, oh, I'm going to this and someone, someone like, I know you from somewhere. Yeah, uh, shall I tell you, it's, it's really weird. And I, I never had this until sort of really recently. And I think it's a, a testament to sort of the mass appeal of F1 growing because, you know, you're you become, uh, although a very small part, a very small part of a bigger and bigger and bigger pie. I get people like look at me and, I, and I'm sure it's just my vastly egotistical imagination, but I, I get people like look <laughs> at me across, you know, a WH Smith's in an airport. <laughs> And they'll just look at me and, and you know, not recognize per se, but they've kind of they kind of seen you and they don't really know where they've seen you from, which is, you know, as again, in my imagination <laughs> uh, of my mind, the reason for that is that they've seen me on an F1 broadcast somewhere. But I'm sure it's I, not I wonder case. if you, you might get recognized from your voice occasionally, though. A little bit, but mm. most of the, most people think that it's just my my dad having a def, having a difficult day. Uh, you know? I, well, <laughs> I have to admit, we heard you over the tannoy, and everyone turned around and went, "Whoa, that is eerie!" But obviously, there's some genetics involved in that. I was at a cart track. I was speaking to someone, and then halfway through the conversation, he suddenly said to me, "He goes, oh." You're Miss Apex. You're you're the guy from Miss Apex. And I went, oh yeah, oh wow. You went, yeah, oh, yeah. I recognise that from the voice. And then he went, oh, I'm sorry. You must get that all the time. And I went, oh yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It's <laughs> kind of boring, if anything. Um, it, it's it's cool. Um, and and it's something that you know I'm not used to. But it's it's something that I've seen so much of, obviously, because my my dad's still you know vastly more recognizable in in face and in voice and in word than me um so i've I've always uh watched that and watched the kind of Reaction, character guess, yeah. and 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 grace with which he dealt with it um so you know i i i, I very much doubt that i will ever have the same kind of reach but if i could approach that kind of um that kind of uh poise with dealing with that uh that uh, i would i would be very thankful indeed so first on Missed Apex, if the question in your head is, should I tell the story? The answer is always, yeah, always yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Second, I, and I'm just curious because you said that occasionally people might mistake you for your dad's voice. Have you ever used that power for <laughs> fun and profit, let's say? To get us interviews on Missed Apex. Come on. To be honest, there's a, there's a serious house phone problem that we have, <laughs> um, which, you know, we're, my parents have it's still... Uh, very much landline uh, especially living as is, is kind of general uh knowledge in the in the area in the rural area of norfolk yeah. in the uk for any um, game of thrones fans it's like the iron islands basically norfolk still exactly exactly that and so a la- landline rather than being a throwback in that area is is more of a necessity um so various uh over the years you know so n- other family members it happens less now because obviously <laughs> i'm not as you can see uh, uh so much at home but when i have been at home uh i've picked up the phone to various uh, personalities um who upon immediately thinking that uh that my father's picked up the phone have have set off you know and there's a certain when somebody starts to tell you about something very very important there's a certain inertia to their <laughs> that, you, that, that you don't you feel rude interrupting yeah you can't always get in there yeah exactly so that so that's happened a couple of times well since you you know you brought up that dynamic with your your dad there is one piece of commentary from the japanese grand prix that i can't not mention and if those of you who don't listen on the sky sports commentary uh Alex's dad, also known as Martin Brundle, was just telling a lovely, endearing story about a thing his son might have told him. And we're all used to our parents in their 60s and and 70s, perhaps saying things that might embarrass us or are misinterpreted. Uh, But Martin Brundle, your father, definitely implied that you invented the term meatball flag for the mechanical failure flag in F1. He said I he said I call it that. <laughs> I was I actually I'm, I'm not an I I'm not an I racer. I know that a lot of our uh, a lot of the listeners yeah. will be an I racer. Mm. I didn't realize that that is the official terminology on I racing for for that flag. But it's 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 a rel- it's a really well known it's a really well known piece yeah. of piece of slang for that flag. And I just I I immediately jumped on Twitter and I thought 
oh no oh no people 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 are gonna think you know they're yeah. gonna draw a they're gonna draw a story yeah. in their mind of but me you, going you've been at home <laughs> Actually, I call that one. You'll be you'll be interested to know that I actually call that, and I just thought I'm going to nip that straight in the bud. Actually, Papa, I have a term uh, for the mechanical <laughs> failure flag. All right, let's get to some of the listener questions. Since you are basically a junior series expert, probably one of the foremost junior series experts in 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 media, I think we start there with those questions, Alex. We must be. Thing is, you must pick up so much when you're commentating. You're not only commentating on the action; you're getting emotionally invested in those characters as well. Which is something. The reason we have Formula Nerds on to teach us about the Junior Series is I'm trying to get invested in it because the racing is so good. I want to enjoy it on a drive to survive level as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do. I do get involved with their journey. I, I try not to get too much involved with their journey because I want to try to stay. Um, you know, in, totally impartial. They, they, they deserve that. Um, I'll let you in on a secret, which is that I have my own racing career and, uh, you know, sponsors and things to do and uh, things to handle. And I can't stay absolutely invested in Formula Two week in, sure. week out. So there is a period of, you know, and I give a day to it. I give a day to it. And sometimes I'm, I'm, you know, I, I think it might be better what I do is I sit down and I catch up with the last period of Formula Two action and and indeed what's been going on in these young drivers' careers. Driver changes, he's gone there, he's gone there, she's gone there, et cetera, et cetera. And so actually what what can be quite challenging are when people do, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, come up to me and go, who do you like at the moment in Formula 2? And I go, I can you wait for the Thursday before the next race weekend when I yeah. really get in deep and have a yeah. look at all the statistics so i can deliver them in practice on a friday and, and you know I, I, bet you, I bet you could give a good answer but your own standard for wanting to give an answer is based on post research yeah uh, yeah i mean i can give a i can give a good answer but when i when i do so again you know i remember how intently when i was at mm. sort of that level and gp3 level um slightly below that that i that i watched the commentary probably too much actually it's probably it probably wasn't particularly good for my career but i watched the commentary of those different series and i always imagine driver x you know with his hand what about what about me what about well, me well, and uh, yeah. i saw some commentary from uh, from james hunt and when he was on the f1 commentary and he would be saying stuff like well that was ridiculous from that driver he's absolutely no place being a grand prix professional and he should leave the sport immediately like he didn't care you should maybe you should invoke some of that he'd say that to their face yeah as well <laughs> i think um, yeah. which which you know i mean i i also i also try you know, never say something in commentary about a driver that you wouldn't be prepared to yes. stand in front of them and say. And I think, you know, but that does extend to if you are a character like James Hunt, who would say anything then to anyone's yeah. face, then you, you can get away <laughs> with quite a lot, can't you, under under that rule? Well, let's go to Stuart's question, who says, uh, with Drogovic not getting a seat, so Drogovic, F2 champion, DeFries not getting a seat straight away and going to FE, uh, and others who only made third place in F2, uh, getting an F1 seat. Does the FIA ladder uh, have broken rung, rungs and is Indy less challenging than F3? That's from Stuart Neal. Thanks for that question. I know there's a few things there, but I think, you know, a lot of people see this, you can't continue once you're champion. So maybe it's like an incentive to finish third. Uh, but is that is that feeder series broken? And I do remember actually sat in a, oh, you might not remember this. Years ago, you and I sat in an Italian restaurant talking about what the young drivers actually have to consider, even if they get offered a seat, it might not be the right, the right thing to do, even if that's the dream. Uh, Felipe Drogovic has been scooped up in the in the Aston Martin uh, young driver program, but uh, you know I, I'm not I'm not sure how much that is just to stop us all going. Well, of course he's not been affiliated to any driver program, you know, and and just and just uh, scoop him up into that environment. He certainly deserves to be there. Um, I don't want to be drawn on on is Indy less challenging than F3 without driving in both series Good point. right now. I couldn't mm. tell you um, because you never know. I mean, realistically, you never know uh, what what kind of pinnacle is being achieved. Professional pace on any specific day at the absolute pinnacle of these series, I would suggest is about the same. 
you know the, the the all of these series have their various challenges but the people who are there's always someone in that mm. series who he's really delivering you know 99.9 percent of the potential of the racing card so you know each of the series has their own challenges uh why have they not got a seat is there a broken rung on that ladder yes there is yes there is uh and it's because i think that you know the financial pressures are such that the financial pressures are such that the the teams in formula one no longer believe enough in the validation process of that of that series and i think and i think that needs to be i think that needs to be addressed but we know that we know that that's that's you know nobody's sitting there going you know a couple of million quid plus for the feeder series to find from somewhere for the feeder series to f1 is completely okay nobody's saying that so yeah it's a foregone conclusion really all right so i have a two-part follow-up uh one (laughs) is about whether or not you think um F1 teams are perhaps, and I'm looking now at the return of Alonso, let's say, and now we see DeVries doing well. Do you think F1 teams are at a point where, with the cost cap, perhaps they're beginning to value experience and maturity a bit more, whereas in the past it was always about, are you young and you have ridiculous pace? And just a technical note on the IndyCar series, I think they have about double the horsepower of an F3 car. So I would ask, given the horsepower disparity, wouldn't Indy just be simply a harder car to drive for a driver because it has so much more power? You have to remind us of the first question now. Okay, let me go back to the first question again. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm sure Alex can remember two things. Yeah, I mean, I think on on your second question, it's always important to remember that you're not racing the car, you're racing the others. You know, you're not racing the car, you're not racing the track. Mm. You're not racing the day. You're not racing the ambient. You're racing the others. So, yeah, okay. You know, the 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 F3 car requires this. The Indy car requires that, uh, so on. But you're only ever you're only ever required to go slightly quicker than the next quickest guy uh, or, or girl, indeed. Um, so, I, I think, yeah. I mean, y- you could argue that one is a harder car to drive. Um, in which case you could argue that the field spread would be greater and therefore it would be easy to find, it would be easy to to get further up the field if you were further away from the pace. Equally, you could argue that the other car is easier to drive and is less of a challenge and therefore uh, it would be easier to be closer to the pace. Mm. But realistically, you know, you're, you're, you're operating you're operating in a sport. You're going to have to remind me of the first question, you know, Trumpets. Because I you knew did. it. I knew it. Don't see, oh, Matt. man, you've made me look bad. I've officially yeah. been wrong on the podcast after all these years once. <laughs> okay, I'm going to let that go. Remember I'm going to let that go. I'm going to let that go. Remind us of the first question. <laughs> the first question was very simple. With uh, looking at Alonzo. Oh, experience. Bingo. Got it. Got it. With you. Um, <sighs> I think... There, are, there's a big enough pool of drivers where they can actually demand both. But it's it's it interests me, and it, I believe it should interest those in charge of these young driver programs that actually, you know, not necessarily the appointment of De Vries and and the retention of Alonso over such a long period of time, but the performance of De, Bre- De Vries and the performance of Alonso after such a long period of time. And in fact, you know. There was a period where drivers were just getting younger and younger and younger and younger and younger. And I don't really see any reason for that beyond it being a fad and beyond, you know, teams. If you look at what's just happened with Oscar Piastri, actually teams wanting to move their driver through to Formula One and and almost nail them into a Formula One seat so they get their value out of them before they move too far through their career. Uh, and I think that that could potentially be the driver for that. But if you look in hard performance terms, you know, I was always taught that a race driver peaks around 30 uh, because you have the experience. Plus, you might lose a little bit of speed, but realistically, that's your that's your moment. You're, you're 32. And, and drivers are approaching. You're 32. That. Do you feel Do you feel like you've peaked? I'm over the hill, man. I'm over the hill. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think <laughs> it's for other people to decide. You know, if you've peaked, if you've peaked or troughed or not. I think sports cars is a bit of a different bit of a different discipline as well. There's a lot more sort of ego burying to be done and sort of gen, general working <laughs> with others to do. Whereas oh, yeah. Formula One is is a is a is a feisty old game. 
Yeah, team sport. Oh, man, it must be so annoying when, like, you do really well and your teammate stuffs it. That's got yeah, to I mean, uh, equally, equally, you know, both things have happened. I've, <laughs> I've had races where I've, I, I've, I've won the race notionally, and I'm, and I'm, ha- I'm more than happy to say that I, uh, as the strategy worked out, played what I would consider to be a smaller part than usual in that. <laughs> and then races where I've driven my the absolute wheels off the car, and my teammates faded to the back. But you got to take the rough <laughs> with the smooth. Uh, yes. Right. So actually just one more question. I think it's a really good question that Stuart's asked there. Uh, you've got direct experience of going from junior series and then going to a sports car. And that might be a little bit in your blood. And I very much suspect that you had a little gentle voice in your ear growing up saying sports cars are brilliant, by the way. Um, so that's, you know, that's ferried you into there. Do you think that having say your year out, like De Vries had, you have a year out, you go to GT and then suddenly that F1 call comes up. How damaged are you from leaving that conveyor belt, that ladder? So can can someone go off and do supercars, Formula E, Le Mans, and then come back and do F one? I think the proof. I think the proof is in the pudding, really. Um, and you know, we've seen drivers like Andre Lotterer jumped in oh, a yeah. caterham a yeah, few years yeah, back. Yeah. And just did a mega job from yeah. nowhere. Uh, you know, drivers go away and do sort of super formula and that kind of thing. Honestly, you know, you look at a you look at a modern sports car program. Um, especially at the the highest level, the the level above me. Although Devries has been in LMP2 cars for uh, a little while, uh, you're operating, you're working with Michelin, uh, maximizing a sequence of compounds that are totally con, you know, that are totally variable for your demands. You know, a confidential compound. You're working with powertrain analysis. You're giving bits of feedback. Yeah. Where where do where does that come into the junior series ladder? You know, you're driving a sequence of Delara chassis yeah. with Renault engines, or then you jump in a, you know, you jump in a, you find yourself in a 1.6 Mechachrome V6 without a turbo. <laughs> then you're in a 1.6 Mechachrome Chrome V6, Mechachrome uh, V6 <laughs> with a turbo. Then, you know, that experience is actually, yeah, as you say, trumpets, and it's probably a point towards your previous question. Uh, massively beneficial in fact when you arrive in the development rich world of formula one yeah well and, and i'm always surprised that um more people don't point to the power management game required at formula e and i know no, you yeah. sort of were talking you were hinting at lmp1s there with the massive need to manage your energy system your recovery system as well as the, the tire degradation, I think the advantage, the biggest advantage to F2 and F3 that I can see is that you're working with the same tires and compounds that you'll be seeing in Formula One. And that I think that is a big advantage for a lot of teams. But the rest of it, not so much. You can get that elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, you're working with the same tire tendency. Uh, Pirelli tires are, uh, you know, you, you, we talk about yeah. getting uh, getting their head around the Pirelli tire. They tend to be quite soft in the sidewall, um, which has gives the tire a very specific feel, and and that carries through. Certainly carried through even you know into a GT car with a Pirelli tire on versus a, a GP3 car. You still had to carry that same feel. So yeah, there is great benefit to that. You get the feel for what it's like to race on a formula one weekend which is a big deal a massively big deal because it's it's so much of the time you feel like the racing takes a a back seat almost to the furore and the general activity that's going on around that's something you really have to get used to as a driver so there are a lot of benefits as well as being marketable to that formula one environment but you know technically yes i mean you look at the driver of uh, a driver of the technical ability of alonso the technical ability of sebastian vettel or or lewis hamilton you know the old hands the 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 greats they've developed that after they've arrived to formula 1 you know and, and that's what's happened there that is really interesting i think we actually we've got a really good question that just follows on to this when it comes to feel and moving between cars we saw you at the the goodwood festival and you were were you racing in adrian newey's car i can't remember which way around it was now no adrian's newey's car choked out didn't it after the driver handover 
yeah, diff, it had a it had a diff Gearbox, issue, yeah, I believe. Right, yes. uh, uh, but that was yeah, good. The... That was good racing to watch. I love just watching how those cars weren't planted at all. They, I bet that was great fun. But I'll, I'll say Martin's question first because that will lead on to it. Uh, Martin D says, "What do you get more out a ki- more of a kick out of modern WEC style kit with mega downforce and modern tires, or classic cars and everything that comes with it?" And I have to say, like uh, I have caught like bits of you just sliding around in minis and and these classic cars it does look like it's a handful gigantic steering wheels at times as well i mean it's it as a driving challenge the classic car is 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 fantastic you know mm. what what you can do in those cars uh you know you've got a it's a difference the the reason by the way why they slide around like that is because they're on a cross ply tire which gives grip which gives grip in a in like a hill Whereas uh, a, a radial tire, like a modern car, will give grip as a plateau. So you've got it and then you've not got it. Oh, Whereas a, a, right. a cross ply tire will give grip versus slip angle in like a hill. So you've kind of got it all the time and it comes <laughs> back and goes away. So uh, that's why you can get away with such slip angle and still go fast in them, which is what makes the racing dramatic and oh, exciting. that's interesting. So you, you'll feel that level of grip and you've got confidence that it will give you a little bit of warning that, like, no, you are pushing the limit here, Alex. Oh, yeah, you, you, mm. really, can, you really can go, well, that's not worked out. Hmm. <laughs> what can I do about this then? You know, while, yeah. while you're sort of floating through the middle of the corner, which is why, you know, those, the driving talent of, of uh, you know, like a Sterling Moss or a Fangio is so unbelievably impressive because they... They had, they could, they could wing it basically mm. in these cars and make and make them work. However, rolling out on on the skates with eight guys pulling you outside to to then receive your your tires to yeah. then be dropped on the ground to then you know head off into the dark at Le Mans is another unbelievable experience and and I wouldn't you know it's not something where I would say. I would be happy to give that experience up for anything. Right. Okay. So the, so the classic cars give you a curiosity and have their own fun and, ch- and charm and challenge. But when you're in that prototype, you know that you're at the front end. I love the classic stuff. I love it. I adore it. But I, it's a connoisseur's type of racing. Yeah, it's a <laughs> connoisseur's type of racing. What to do once you've done Le Mans. Because okay. to, to, to come up to that to, to take oh, it to that top level is beautiful. Okay, so let's talk difficulty. Is there any era of F1 car where you think, okay, muggins, spanners might jump in and be okay? So I'm looking at like the 50s ones and go, wow, looking at those lads, you know, they're, they're having to flop their bellies in and they're, you know, they've got a fag on the go and looks like they may have had a few gins, to be honest. I'm fairly sure I can hop in one of those cars and at least operate it. I definitely couldn't operate a modern F1 car. I wouldn't know the first thing to do. I probably couldn't even drop the clutch. The, the manual, I can tell you that the manual mechanical skill required to operate a historic F1 car would blow your mind, would <laughs> blow your mind. And not in just in case, not just in the case of, you know, changing gear and so on and so forth, but you're a car manager at that point with such limited information. And you've got to have that innate sense of when it doesn't quite feel right, sit in the car, no radio, of course. So you've got yeah. to work out why, you know, you're, you're keeping the car going. You're a part of it. A modern F1 car. Yeah. Matt, you're a fighter pilot. You're a fighter pilot with an, with a team to assist you. Then it's just you're, then you're completely limited by processing power. How right. much processing power have I got? I I firmly believe, and I've seen it done. Uh, I've seen it done with people who do you know Corsa Cliente days, which is Ferrari's own client based uh, F1 program. It with assistance and help, normal people can get obviously <laughs> not at a Formula One driver's level, but normal people can get in Formula One cars and can drive them. It's just a case of how far away from the pace that they would be. I've seen certain influencers jump in, say, like a Renault F1 experience day and then pretend that they were, oh, look, Renault have invited me to do a thing. No, you haven't. You've paid three grand to jump in. But I've heard on those things. See, I didn't mention any names. That's personal growth, audience. Uh, On those days, apparently, they will let you do three laps 
because at three laps, there's where that's where people gain enough conf- confidence to hurt themselves. So it's like, yeah, the first couple of laps, you're going slow enough that you're not in any danger. Then by lap three, you're going, I am Senna. Well, they're definitely... <laughs> Is, it, well, is that a statement? We is that a statement we're going to end with? Yes, is, I can just imagine you clearly. Is that going out on reels later on? Okay, you Spanish, need to you need to watch my eye racing streams because once I get the VR on <laughs> and I've got my little force feedback steering wheel. I, in fact, what we do at our uh, karting events and when we do our eye racing events. My wife called it race driver karaoke, which I absolutely love because we all get to just grab that race driver mic for an afternoon and pretend and make believe. Don't mock us, Alex. But, uh, but I think, you know, the, the, there's there's a lot to be said for that. And there's only one way, you know, there's you talk about racing school, you talk about, mm. you know, simulation, training, eye tracking. There's only really one way to learn how to do that. And it's the old 10,000 hours is the old 10,000 yeah. hours argument. Get out there <laughs> and learn how to do it. And And everyone who has raced at any kind of level has got in a new car. At some point, whether it's at Le Mans, whether it's a faster a single seater, whether it's whatever it is, a British touring car for the first time and completely winged it until they knew what they were doing. <laughs> and that's that's basically that's that's the way that's the way you learn how to do this. And, and winging it is actually a very important skill in, in racing with less and less and less testing over the years. Oh, yeah. No, that's a good point. And that might get even less for, for certain teams. But that's not a topic we're covering on this week's episode. Let's get to some more listener questions. I think we're going to go into some F1 punditry here, Mr. Brundle. I'm sure that's an area you can stray into. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Uh, lots of questions about Daniel Ricardo and his his situation. He recently came out and did some interviews basically saying, I see what Lando Norris is doing. I can see the difference, but I couldn't recreate it in my car. It's a very difficult situation. So let's just get to um, the three questions that I have here. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll point you to them. I won't expect you to remember them like Matt does. In fact, let's start off one by one. If you were in Danny Rick's position, asks Rob, what would you do? Would you try? Would you have a sabbatical? Would you try for a Haas Williams seat, or would you go for another series? I think that's that's a great just one just to to kick off with. What what would you do in his situation? You don't have a McLaren drive. Let's say one of those two Haas or Williams is hypothetically available. What are you thinking? Oh, I mean, if he has the opportunity to stay in Formula One, I think he'll take it with both hands. He's already intimated that he that it's unlikely. Uh, that he's going to be in a race seat on the F1 grid next year. Um, I think a reserve driver seat he he is not for him. I, I think at his mm, stage yeah. of career, it's it, it's a little bit pointless, really. Um, realistically, I think he's kind of in that Nico Hulkenberg situation of he's a reserve driver, whether he has a reserve driver seat or not. Uh, you know, he's one of the drivers who would oh, be called yeah. upon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who, in realistic terms, and how many times over past years have we seen reserve drivers not actually get in 
in reserve because oh. the teams, when it comes down to it, want to use uh, somebody with a bit more experience. Yeah, well, Susie Wolf was the Williams reserve driver for, for years. And, and I think they outwardly out and out said, no, we wouldn't actually use her for a Grand Prix. You go, well, what's the point of that reserve driver role? It's almost like you've paid to be on the CV. I don't know. Indeed. So when, when you look at um, Danny's, Daniel Ricciardo's uh, scenario, I think what I would do, and it's but the, the problem with it is it's a brutal decision to make, mm-hmm. a brutal decision to make. I would commit to another series now. Really? Uh, you know, there are, there's a lot going on in sports cars. IndyCar goes from strength to strength. It's a great place to go racing. Uh, and I, and I think, you know, having been in, Having been, you know, you've got Formula One and then you've got rest of world motorsport, haven't you? Having been involved, it's a, you can have a fantastic career. So Danny Rick would be massively popular in IndyCar. And I think I can ask you this question as a driver. Um, it's, maybe it's an awkward question. A lot of drivers have looked at IndyCar and said, that's frightening. And I look at the ovals and it's frightening. Is that a fair reflection of IndyCar? Oh, definitely. Definitely. And there are a lot of drivers that, that actively say it's not for them. And those drivers do the road course deal. Um, maybe do the Indy 500 if they feel like it, um, you know, and drivers have hurt themselves a lot out there. Yeah. So it's another decision to make. It's almost an old world decision to make uh, for a race car driver. Am I okay to do this? Um, and that's that's the reality of the series. But drivers know when they undertake, you know, oval racing that they have a level of risk that they're prepared to take. But it's not the only other series you can you can jump into. So, 100%, risk aside, if you had to take a year out of Formula One and you wanted to be in the best shape when you knew you were going to come back next Ooh, good season, question. Yeah. which series would you pick to keep yourself as sharp as possible? Yeah, no, it's either IndyCar or Super Formula because you need to be in a high-powered and you need to be in a high-powered single-seater. You know, uh, a high-powered single-seater is a... Is, is its own skill, just like driving a sports car is its own skill, just like being great in a TCR car or a GT car is its own skill. You need to stay, uh, of course, in that box if you possibly can and, and be on the floor. You can't, of course, go back for Formula 2. There are there are regulations that set against it. So you would have, you know, IndyCar is the obvious choice. Follow-up, would you change that Formula 2 regulation or would you create another series where former champions from Formula 2 could race? No, I don't think I don't think so, Um, because I think that you've you've had your opportunity to deliver in Formula One. You either have or haven't done so. You know, we have seen drivers head out into the wings. You know, what's a real shame, in fact, uh, I think, is that DTM no longer exists in its previous form, uh, because that was a great place where Formula One drivers sought manufacturer funded refuge you know, for a year out and a year Ta- back, talent, maybe talent-based seats as well. I guess, yeah, yeah. indeed. And it, and the cars, the cars were fast enough where you know you got basically a, a, a GT five hundred style of, or you know, a yeah, silhouette. They had downforce. Yeah, proto GT. You know, uh, is the way that I always describe the cars. You know, you're going what is quicker, as quick or quicker than a. Than a, than a second tier prototype and, and indeed now with the, the hypercar um the hypercar regulations uh, almost as quick if not as quick as a, as a top tier prototype and you're racing against f1 level talent now it's a gt3 car <sighs> it's a bit different you know we saw alex albon thrown into that you know, conceptually, and he didn't really wasn't really interested in 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 undertaking that challenge. And I can understand that, really. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend to Daniel Ricardo to join our Missed Apex karting series. I still have waking nightmares of where, when Mister Brundle was was kind enough to to join us. I think the first time you joined us, and then one of our panelists sent you quite close to the barrier. And I still have nightmares where I wake up and go, "Rude, Mister Brundle's a guest. Why have you done that?" I feel bad. Feel bad. It's not been back since. If you came back to a Mist Apex karting series, I can I can't. I can't even promise you that you wouldn't get punted. There's an awful lot of punty drivers on the panel. Sorry. 
yeah, you have to be you really have to be careful how you phrase that, don't you? <laughs> You're I, make sure that you make sure that pronounce you all your letters, please. Correctly. I formed the words <laughs> in my mouth. I'm a professional broadcaster, sir. Um, there's another really good question from Sean, which says the recent articles around Danny Rick and him not having the same feel as Lando in that McLaren. What is the feel he's lacking, and how do you find it as a driver? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the the the, the statement he made before. You know, I can see it in the data, but I can't do it. That is a driver gently, gently suggesting his yeah. car's not the same. Um, and and I think that that's that's pretty clear. Um, you know, drivers like all different uh, kind of sensations from the car, not just beyond oversteer or understeer. Mm. You know, uh, in terms of how quickly a car breaks away, how the front sinks when they're on the brake pedal, some drivers like a soft compliant front end, they can be very aggressive. And it's all about how he specifically undertakes driving the car that just doesn't work with that McLaren. When the gap is that big between two top rated drivers, do you start to go, well, this can't just be the out and out difference between those two guys? Or is there a chance that Ricardo is a journeyman hack and Lando Norris is a, a savant future, you know, Schumacher? I don't think that there's any chance of that. You know, you look at the things that Daniel Ricciardo's done behind the wheel of a Formula One car uh, over the years, and you know he gets the he gets the job done. I think what it does show you is when you're operating at such a pinnacle, mm. and it's something that I really think is is a is a factor of that sort of single seater racing and a factor of the the higher echelons of single seater racing. Things can be not that bad, but look horrible purely because the level achieved the rest of the time and otherwise is is so unbelievably high that once you fall off that cliff of performance and lose that confidence it looks outrageous uh, in comparison to everybody else a, a bit like a sort of a an offside defense when everyone Ooh, steps yeah. up and looks like you're miles offside but you're actually you're actually only just I, I would actually say alex that it's more like a, a radial loss of grip than a cross ply loss of grip i would say indeed yeah, and and to, you would be correct <laughs> rubbish and disastrous is is what is what it is what it looks like yeah. but it but it's not uh, it's just uh, the the pinnacle of, of of performance, the knife edge. Uh, one of the interesting things I think Ricardo had said in one of his interviews was that uh, one of the big differences is that Norris has grown up with this McLaren, and as we all know, faults tend to follow chassis through multiple developments and regulations, which I think McLaren has admitted that they have some problems with this year's car that they had with last year's car. So is it also possible that because he came into this team and has grown up with this car and with this power unit, which I will point out, this is the first time uh, Mercedes power unit has been driven by Daniel Ricciardo, that that also plays into the gap we see. Yeah, I mean, it's a case of philosophy um, that that tends to follow teams and, and a generality of how they go about trying to extract uh, performance from a racing car and how they go about trying to design a racing car to deliver performance. McLaren, I've always considered as the all-rounders really they kind of come at come at it from different angles but there will be there will be a, a specificity to how they you know how they aim how that group of engineers of course which is always fluid aim to gain um performance but there's also a confidence there and a line of communication you know for lando to 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 feed back into and tell those engineers what he wants and it you know, even in a feeder series scenario, you get, you know, you, you pick up a car the year after the driver who who was before you. And this is when, you know, you're dealing with all spec Delara parts, even, you know, you, you pick up a car and it's and it has the tendency of the driver who who left it to you the year before so taking that a a development further and looking at a car which they are developing from basically scratch as per this year's regulations as per the regulation revolution that we had at the beginning of this year and you start to see how lando has 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 rubber stamped it and and that's and that's what he's made that's what they have he's made it his team I think, in a way, he's yeah. made it his team. They had two kind of superstar level on reputation drivers 
And I think now they're in a better situation because they've got Lando, their established superstar, and then a Padawan learner. And that's how I would set up my F1 team as well. It's going to be tough for Piastri uh, to come to come into that team. And uh, after all the uh, after the interesting moment the F1 world had where I expected him to turn up in one place and he didn't, <laughs> and everyone had quite a lot to say about it. Um, now the pressure is indeed on to, to to perform. I mean, we've seen him. He's a world-class racing driver um, in those series. He's got to learn extremely fast the ways and methods of Formula One and deliver in, in the short term. Which answers uh, Nick's question. So that saved us that. But thank you for that question, Nick. How will Piastri cope, Matt? Well, that was what I was going to point to. This is everyone's on everyone's bucket list of your personal opinion. Will he be able to cope at that level it's interesting isn't it and um you know i cite yuki sonoda who who jumped from you know a, a successful feeder series career jumped in a formula one car and went there are just so many buttons to press you know he's demonstrative isn't he and he tells you exactly what's going on mouth and on his sleeve said, i love it yeah <laughs> there's just so many buttons to press and i don't know which one to press first and it, and it's and it's and it's a big deal and you know Far from actually, you know, you take a, okay, they've got two compounds in Formula 2, but then, you know, you're not dealing with the optimized car, the 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 uh, tools that the engineers have to fiddle about with things like the energy that the car is putting into the tire and how it's working, the compound is so limited. So you have to do that yourself as the driver rather than feed back to the engineer what it's doing and get them to 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 make the car perfect for you it is a change it is a change electronic diff changes brake migration changes uh, all of those elements that are so in-depth that demand an intelligence from the driver which is not required until that moment uh, it's going to be tough for sure Alex, I've got a couple of uh, questions left from the listeners that I'd love to put to you. Do panic and, and put if you've got a hard out, uh, make a wild hand signal or, or send me a DM. Uh, but there's one quick question and, uh, and one that's a little bit more involved. But before we go, thank you so much for your time. I, I have enjoyed a lot of your YouTube content genuinely that you've put out. I like watching you tinkering, building your sports cars. There's a brilliant video of you and your dad doing the green hell, taking on the Nürburgring. And I just loved seeing your guys' relationship around there. It's like it's like every father and son kind of going on a, a wild adventure. It's almost like a fishing trip, except it's like these a magnificent uh, machines going around this gigantic historic racetrack. Uh, so point us to all your content that you're doing at the moment. Yeah, so a lot of it's kind of classic car based. We're building classic cars and then going and racing those uh mostly all over the uk but we were out in spa for the spa six hours last uh one was a was a gt40 uh tool room replica that we finished a day before the spa six hours those videos are going to come out soon brundle behind the wheel is where you find all of that nonsense of me banging my head against my mustang literally <laughs> and trying not to bleed too much all over it and then uh, doing some classic racing as well. So that's on YouTube. And then obviously I'm Alex Brundle Racing on uh, Instagram. And uh, the, our patron Slack group is asking if you will drop in at some point and do a text, uh, answer me anything. And if you say yes, that means I get to entice people to be patrons, Alex. Okay, yes. That's Become like patrons. A mutual whatever, back whatever the sti- Whatever the thing. stipulations are, <laughs> whatever he demands from you, Become patrons. Patreon.com forward slash missed apex. Alex Brundle demands it. Here's a good question from uh, from uh, John M's got a great question about street circuits. However, uh, this one from Jake is really good. You guys do an amazing job. That's us, Alex. You're not included in that. I'm, I'm so happy that I found your podcast. He says, my wife and I are going to the circuit of the Americas. What is your advice for making the most out of a weekend? Keep up the good work. We wish you the best. And actually, I can't answer that because I have very little experience of going to live circuits. And also, I feel like you probably couldn't answer that question very much either, Alex. Um, But I wanted to ask the question as an excuse to ask you, can you just turn up at a Grand Prix if you're not working that weekend? Uh, me? I yeah. mean, can I or can one? Yeah, just, yes, no, no, yeah. you. I, just I, just I go play. into the general admission and just be like, oh, yeah. I'm just chilling out at Stoke. Mm-hmm. No, I, I absolutely can. And, and in fact, you know, I I was at 
I was at the Monaco Grand Prix this year uh, to do an, another to do yeah. another job. <laughs> I, I actually got myself a job so I could go to the Monaco. <laughs> it's probably more realistic. Nice. So I could go to the Monaco Grand Prix this year, um, doing some presenting for a corporate thingy. And I uh, and I basically said to F1, "Well, I'm I'm there." <laughs> uh, so uh, you know, would it be possible? Would it be possible to get a pass? And they were kind enough to to help me with okay, one. Okay, but, but have you um, ever gone right? I'm doing general ad- admission. And no, I have. Just, yeah, no, yeah. absolutely, absolutely, I have. Yeah, uh, so British your... British Grand Prix. Um, a, a couple of times before I was a member of the BRDC, I have gone uh, as a general as a general admission fan, and uh, very very much enjoyed it. Circuit of the Americas. If you're the, the main, uh, okay, I have some I have some points on the Circuit of the Americas, which Brilliant. are mainly to do with Cota. I'm I'm reticent to say make sure you get a grandstand ticket or make sure you sit in a certain place. I recognise yeah. how expensive yeah. these things are. Uh, modern times, I don't know what you're working with in terms of wherewithal. Uh, if you're Texan already, which I suspect you are, if you're going, um, then you know how hot it is. So make oh, sure that you're prepared for it man, to rain yeah. very hard and be very hot. Uh, because those are the two things I've seen happen at the Circuit of the Americas. Uh, so dress the conditions. Uh, drink lots of water and i think i think talk to people and make friends because i i don't i i would i think that f1 is a community isn't it and and people that like racing and want to talk about it are cool people and i think that actually rather than just going and sort of you know watching you know verstappen and hamilton go and and charles leclerc go round and round and round if you hang out with some other like-minded people then you'll learn a lot more about racing yeah, and my my tip would be to get absolutely melted. Just just go go to the bar, get a skinful, because that's what me and Brad did at the Silverstone Grand Prix <laughs> last season. And yeah, we just made loads of friends randomly because all the people there share the same interests or, as you. And generally, they've either gone there on their own, which I've done before, or with a couple of other people. So it's not like a closed like click. It's not mean girls. No one's going to say, you can't sit with us. Just talk about racing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, the thing is, um, Cota, yes, very hot. Silverstone's hot enough for me. My my greatest fear with those kind of events is uh, not having enough to eat, not having... So you've got to basically treat it like camping, haven't you? You go, right, I've got my sunscreen, I've got my water, I've got my provisions for the day. I know where the restrooms are. Well, yeah, and also, and also acknowledge that, in fact, whilst um uh, you go and watch... Uh, Formula One is an incredible spectacle to watch from trackside. Yeah. It is not the most demonstrative sport in terms of what is going on if watched from a no. very specific place uh, on a very specific racetrack. Worth doing so because, wow, look at that thing going really fast. Yeah. We'll, mesmerize, we'll mesmerize you all day. If you're lucky enough to see some action happen on your corner, even better. <laughs> However, it's worth making sure you have some method, uh, depending on your region or era or your region or w- which part of... Yeah. Uh, the world you're in of making sure you know what's actually happening in the race will increase your enjoyment immensely of watching the cars go really fast so i was at village so by a turn three at silverstone in the grandstand and there's a huge big screen in front and that was 2013 when all the tires were blowing up uh, down the wellington Strait. so in that situation yeah you can see them come past it's brilliant and hearing the the cars coming down the gears into that that turn three so abby then the left-hander, and then coming down the, the gears into the tight right-hander. is spectacular to hear those engines straining against the driver's ambition to lose speed. Uh, but also, I think in general, like on the sort of budget I'm operating at, I think if you offered me you know, the tickets to go to Spa or Monza, I would want to go, right, Friday, experience all the support races and the, uh, the practice, watch them going by. Saturday, watch the qualifying somewhere near the start-finish line, and then go home for Sunday and and watch it on telly because to me the race is still very much a TV sport. Matt? I was just going to get in with I love that you have to specify the year the tires were exploding because it's happened more than once at Silverstone. Okay, but that was happening an awful lot at Silverstone. Um, Yes, okay, that's I think that's a a great question from Jake and I think like a, a lot of F1 fans we haven't spent a lot of time at the track. We talk a big game but mostly we're on the sofa annoying our Dutch neighbours. Okay, that might that might have been very specific to me. John M asks, take a circuit like Monaco or Silverstone, leave everything the same, except the walls, and add infinite runoff. How much faster would the drivers be? Obviously they can't we're gonna police the track limits here, 
But I think the question is, how much of a psychological effect do the Wolves have? Wow, that's a that's a great question. It is a great question, that isn't is, it? Well done, that John. is a that is a great question. I mean, the easy out on that is obviously you've got you've got Monaco. The Wolves delineate the track width, and so actually, because you only have to keep two wheels on the tarmac, they would actually extend the width of the circuit considerably. I feel like that's a cheaty answer. <laughs> because it doesn't drive because it doesn't drive towards the point of the question which is how much does having a physical barrier yeah. slow the driver down i think it would blow your mind how much longer it took the drivers to get up to speed then it would sequentially blow your mind how close they were to the eventual speed once they got there so i think you, you, what you're dealing what you're dealing with is a is a period of time that it's going to take to the driver to get up to speed, but essentially yeah, 99.9% as quick. It's just, but bigger field spread, bigger field spread. The pinnacle would be broadly the same. The The drop away would be greater and the time taken to achieve that would be greater. Yeah. So like, do you have an experience of, of tracks where the walls have made you go, like say on a first practice made you go, Ooh, actually, I'm not sure I fancy this an awful lot. Well, I mean, Monaco is 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 mm. extreme in, in that way. Um, not necessarily the walls, but you know, they're racing in America, racing in IMSA gives you a, a different standard for what constitutes runoff, aka there is none, or it's bumpy, or you just wouldn't want to be there. And so that is just like a hard limitation. Mm. And yes, you know, I have been to frightening racetracks. Uh, name them name them oh i mean road atlanta is a is a frightening is a frightening racetrack um uh, nola i i drove i did a test at new orleans raceway not nola uh while they were busy getting it ready for indycar and there was a digger sitting on the outside of turn seven uh it's a different it's a different standard it's a totally different standard actually if we can start Uh, with um road atlanta because because I've played it on a video game, so I'm basically the same as you. Um, the undulation and the fact that you've got blind corners and blind apexes, how much does that make a difference? Because me, as a complete rank amateur, for me, it's an adventure every time. So on the, like the blind crest of turn two, I never take that corner the same way twice. As a racing driver, are you able to tune in even when that information isn't available to you? Visually. Yeah, somehow it works. Uh, and what's even trickier is in the dark when you take o- take all those reference points away and then the <laughs> lights can't even yeah. see down the road. So like something like, I think the turn you're, you'll be thinking of is turn three oh, okay. so, in Atlanta where you go through yeah. the first one very fast over the top of yes. the hill and then that yes, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. right long, 90 yeah. right comes and slaps you in the face. Muscle memory takes over. And what's really weird is you'll not do that racetrack for four years and then you'll go back. And because that muscle memory is in there somewhere, <laughs> somehow you know where to turn in. It's extremely strange. So like, just to get back to the street tracks, if I'm understanding it correctly, if I'm on a track with lots of runoff, I'm learning it from the outside in. But if I'm on a street track with walls, I'm learning it from the inside <laughs> yes. out and that takes a bit longer. Correct. And it's so interesting when you see American drivers come to Europe and then European drivers come into America, because uh, I'm going to cite, I'm going to cite, well, I'm going to cite Roman Grosjean to start with, um, you know, goes out to IndyCar. And what European drivers do when they go to America is go very fast and then crash a lot because they, <laughs> they get out there and they go, I'm going to race this track like it because our way is to go out there and do the lap because that's what's required of us <laughs> in the junior series. So I'm assuming you have a data point more than Grosjean for that. Yeah, m- mul- multiple, multiple data points. <laughs> drivers, are, he's just the most high profile one in recent times. Um, you know, drivers who go over and do IMSA, I've seen a hundred, you know, young European sports car drivers go and do IMSA and just do the same thing. Um, what's interesting is when American drivers come to Europe, they drive to artificial limits. So, oh. in fact, they they build up unnecessarily. So, so I, I just remember an article from Andrew Benson about eight years ago. It just popped into my head, and he was saying 
one of the signs of how Lewis Hamilton is great, and I think he said the same similar thing of uh, Sebastian Vettel, is how they go out there and basically go off track and abuse track limits because you can, and then they draw back in. Why would you not? Yeah. I mean, you know, why would you not go out there? If, if you, you know, if turn 12 has a long runoff, why would you not go out there and break five meters too late, go five meters off, then bring it five meters back? Is that not a faster way of achieving your objective, which is to break at exactly the right point than breaking 100 meters early, then 50 meters early, then 25 meters early? Because look, man, we've not got a lot of time. You, 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 uh, you put a Formula 2 driver out on the track. He's got 40 minutes to learn the track, get the car right, find out which compound of tire does what, give his feedback and put a lap in to get, to get confidence for the session. There is just not the time to to go and to go and trial and build up and that's when i say you know when in fact you you look at these circuits with with great runoff and they say uh you know that that piece of runoff needs to be changed because uh it it means that the drivers are abusing that piece of running runoff and coming back on the circuit and having an accident what it it's not that piece of runoff specifically ever you know you don't you don't you don't take these things in isolation what you've got is a broad culture built of the way that totally racetracks are designed and built and operated now that give the drivers conceptually in a way which has quite a lot of inertia the sense that they're safer than they are and uh, and I think that that is that that's the issue we have with dangerous things happening on racetracks, uh, specifically in Europe. It must be said in relation to tarmac uh, runoff. So the the reason I loved that question so much was because it irritates me when people say Hungaro Ring is Monaco without the walls, and I just go, no, it's such a completely different kind of racetrack. Yeah, it, it is. It is a different kind of racetrack. There is a little space around Hungaroring. You know, you can go deep in turn one and uh and sort you know and sort it all out you know monaco without the walls is not really when you think i can understand what they're trying to say i can understand what they're trying to say but when you look at it from that perspective not really a legitimate legitimate comment because that's that's like saying a football pitch without the lines isn't it <laughs> it is yeah it's, it's it's like the walls are monaco that's the point a massive thank you to Alex Brandall for, for giving up his time to answer your mailbag questions. Go and follow him by searching Alex Brundle on Twitter and make sure you follow him on YouTube. Search for Alex Brundle. You will not regret searching out his content. We're going to be back for the race review for the Circuit of the Americas. It's going to be very late at night. I think we're not starting our race review until 1am. However, we will still have your race review ready for your Monday morning commute. Follow Matt at MattPT55. Follow me at Spanners Ready. I'm the best one. Until next time, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast.